Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, here we go with another episode where I have the fun to fun time to uh, talk with another accessibility practitioner. And today I'm speaking with Cam Bodwin. Hello, Cam. How are you today? Fantastic, Joe. How are you? Oh, it's good. As uh, usual, I'm in my home office on Vashon Island, Washington, which is near Blink's Seattle headquarters. Where are you talking to me from? Yeah, I'm in Toronto, Canada, and I just came back from a week of vacation myself camping in the outback. So I'm nice and relaxed for you here. It's great. Uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. It's good to have the opportunity to uh, chat with you and uh, certainly a lot of things uh, that, that you've done that uh, we could talk about. A good place to start is if you uh, tell us a little bit about what your current work is all about. Sure, sure. I've got this nice dual opportunity right now. I am currently a senior manager of accessibility at one of the largest financial institutions in Canada, where I lead a team to help make sure that the organization as a whole follows accessibility guidelines and is trained up to really think of that shift left mentality. On the other side, on the flip side of the coin, I'm also a speaker. I'm a professional speaker for digital accessibility and uh, disability inclusion. And that's what I do. I also run a weekly live show as well on LinkedIn too. Well, uh, so obviously you're really busy all the time. Uh, for the work that you're doing with the financial institution, um, what kind of what's that like kind of a day in the life or a work a week in the life for uh, for you in that activity? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I'm going to answer that in a way of, of it's not what I expected. And I'll tell you why, because it's a really important lesson that I think that a lot of us accessibility practitioners don't get to see a lot of, which is a management or leadership role who really cares about accessibility. And the reason I'm saying it's it's an interesting type of role is because I now have to tie accessibility in with business priorities and goals and you know key performance indicators which i don't think is part of a lot of organizations you know the fabric of their being just yet so it's a really interesting role i get to help out the entire organization really set those metrics and set those goals bring in tools and policies and decisions around the entire organization and make sure that they follow those rules that they said themselves that they would follow and uh, you mentioned uh, the show that you do um, in your speaking engagements. What does that consist of? Yeah, so I've got a weekly LinkedIn live show where I try and bring on kind of just like this, diverse guests and groups of people who have lived experiences with disabilities. I really find finding people who have those lived experiences, the voices, probably a key to our industry, really making sure that understanding and hearing about how people uh, live with disabilities is, is a really good way to understand and appreciate how I can cater to them and how I can help out, you know, this, this group of individuals. And um, beside that, I'm also pretty actively going after events, 
keynote talks, other organizations, whoever's looking to make that transformational change in their organization to start caring about accessibility or continue on their journey, or even get their staff of accessibility professionals trained up on how to speak about accessibility properly. Those are the types of markets that I'm really getting heavily into and speaking at those organizations as well. Well, we'll make sure we get uh, notes about those activities uh, in the in the show notes. Uh, but one of the things I like to do in this program is find out how people made their way to where they are today and live life and work life. And so um, why don't you just pick a spot where you'd like to start and uh, let us know about your how your journey progressed to what you're doing today? Sure, sure. It's, it's always an interesting answer, isn't it? When you ask somebody, especially some of us, advocates, right? You know, where you start, we all have this little bit different story, but it always relates in some kind of thing where I cared about a group of people. Like this is important to me, the better good of the world. And um, I started off as a developer and I just wanted to make good code. And uh, we were waiting for um, a project that we were working on. I was waiting for logins. You know, banks sometimes are hesitant about giving logins to people before a six week kind of introduction and an onboarding session, things like that. So at the consulting firm I worked at, we were waiting those six weeks and I was a good developer, still junior. And they threw the web content accessibility guidelines at me. They said, Cam, go learn this. You know, you're going to be the accessibility guy. And I read them as a junior and looking forward to this. And I read them top to bottom, which is one kind of what a lot of people in our industry do. And you realize that after 1.1.1, non-text content, and you move to the next one, you're like 1.2.1. Well, I don't have audio description here. Like, what do I need this for? So I started to realize that that maybe wasn't the best way to approach it. We had a list of defects that need to be fixed. I burned those down. I finished those off. And after that, I became the accessibility subject matter expert. And one of the interesting stories that kind of came out of that was we were in a conversation to try and remember when mobile check deposit came out. Do you remember that? Like when you could take a picture with a check with your phone and they were trying to decide is, do we need to integrate this to the iPhone four or do we just go forward with the iPhone six? And the decision was, well, let's just continue forward with the iPhone six because let's not write code for an older model. And I thought that was kind of odd because I was thinking about the groups of individuals who maybe the only way they get paid is through a check. That's kind of unfortunate that they're not going to be able to afford or purchase a new telephone. Like you tell me I got to buy a new smartphone just to be able to have a convenience of depositing a check. So I thought that was kind of wrong. And I started to just learn a little bit more about the industry. And uh, I became the subject matter expert for the, for the organization in Canada about that. I went to uh, CSUN, the conference around accessibility. I spoke at CSUN in 2018, uh, sent there by the company. And since then, I've just started to speak more openly about digital and professional advocacy and how that kind of relates to this whole world and, and uh, how to, how do we get others to, to care about this subject too, which is a really big focus of what I do now. And uh, the organization that you mentioned there early on, is that the one that you're still working with? No, I actually left them. They were, I had a manager from that organization tell me. And uh, when I used to tell the story, people used to think it was uh, bad or negative. Now I used to think so as well, but change a little bit over time. He said that Cam, you know, this company will never care about accessibility. And I had to take a step back because I thought that was very obtuse. I thought that was very confrontational of him to say that. A little bit later on, I learned that he used to do work on um, airport kiosks, also a very heavily regulated industry, right? 
uh, kiosks and airlines and stuff like that. And his job was um, um, uh, overturned. Like he, he had no more job after working on these kiosks when everything was made remote and you could edit and change these kiosks remotely. Whereas before you had to go in and plug a stick in and, and do a bunch of stuff. So he came from the regulatory industry. And when he told me that, uh, I thought it was, he was being, like I said, quite confrontational and saying, Cam, you know, get out of here. You need something else. It wasn't until much later that, like I said, I realized that maybe he just wanted to make, to, to test me and say, you know, if you really care about accessibility, this company is not the one you should choose. You got to either go and find one who really does and continue that passion that way or change roles within because they'll never find or be able to sell projects of accessibility in this organization. So I left and I went to a pure accessibility uh, consulting firm and um, I was a technical lead there. And then I started my own company after that and started speaking. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, but uh, uh, with the uh, work that you do uh, with your, uh, you still work with a financial company yep financial right. um, yep, yep. And, and so how is that that set up are you part of it an overarching accessibility support for different parts of the organization or do you work with individual departments or or groups or how is that set up yeah really interesting question because and i'm quite fortunate to be able to define what we're doing as we kind of do it recently what happened was the organization had to change from a model where there's just you know an accessibility team to let's go out and build an enterprise-wide accessibility like team or center of excellence or what have you. Uh, with large organizations, usually they have different names for different things, or you know, there's a center of excellence over here for policies. And now do we create a second center of excellence or do we call it something different? So to answer your question, is anything that has to do with digital? So this means websites or the mobile app itself or uh, things like documents or PDFs and stuff that all kind of falls under what me and my team consult on and how we create the policies and procedures and decisions on how do we take this forward uh, for the next six months, one year and make decisions on these for that period of time to carry on kind of like as a permanent structure within the organization. One of the things that you mentioned was your uh, early work looking at the WIC, WCAG uh, and kind of becoming over being overwhelmed by that, which I think is is happens to a lot of people uh, coming right. to accessibility. Fortunately, we have a ton of great information, but in some ways it can be overwhelming to to uh, to see all that. I I, I like to uh, you know people come in uh, new. I like to just give them pieces that maybe are relevant small chunks that are you know they can grab onto but uh, you know one of the things that uh, a lot of uh, large enterprise organizations like financial institutions have to deal with are government regulations uh, yeah and for me as a citizen in the United States uh, in working on projects we're always involved with the the section 508 uh, uh legalities uh, which stem from WCAG. Um, what's it like uh, in in Canada in terms of the standards that uh, you may need to comply with there? Yeah, so recently, uh, AOTA, which stands for the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, uh, came into came into effect. There was a deadline 
2020, excuse me, 2021, it was pushed six months, 2022. And then they said, comply, comply with WCAG 2.0 level AA. And that came into effect. And unfortunately, that uh, AOTA did not have teeth into the rules. Like, you know, they had, you know, what was that, what was going to happen if someone did not comply? Well, they said they threatened for things up to $10,000 a day or something like that. And then it never really happened. So a lot of larger organizations or institutions did comply because the rule was if you did business in the province of Ontario, you needed to follow the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. Then people who were in other provinces, Quebec, British Columbia, the two other most populous provinces said, well, I don't need to comply. I'm not in, I'm not, I don't do business in Ontario or my headquarters is in Quebec. That means I don't need to follow these guidelines. So recently what's happened is it's moved up to the federal level. The Accessible Canada Act is being now worked on and they have a target deadline of 2040 uh, which is a which is a long term. So right now that's what we're working on. We're trying to figure out ways of how do we start to communicate the reasons for working on ACA now to larger organizations, uh, so the larger, excuse me, to the organization at large. And that presents its own challenges, right? Government moves slow, as we both know. And as uh, the more regulated you get, the more difficult it is to actually enact those changes in a reasonable amount of time. And I love this challenge. This is something really interesting because what you said earlier, about breaking it down to smaller chunks is something I talk about a lot. Simplification is something we need to focus on in our industry because it can get really, really complex and convoluted. How can I really describe the whole human condition in a few sentences on a website? You just can't do it. So that's why I don't even really say WCAG anymore. I say accessibility guidelines because it's a lot easier for people to understand or even better, you know, the accessibility rules or rule set or things like that breaking things down into a really easily digestible, understandable piece of information is a lot easier than saying, you know, WCAG 2.0 level AA success criteria 1.1.1. People just don't accept that as part of their, of what, they don't know what they're supposed to do with that, right? They say, okay, that's, you know, what, 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 what do I do? What, how is this practical? How do I make this work? So yeah, that's, it's, it's really important to make sure that we simplify and and, and characterize what we're supposed to do in these really nice digestible chunks. Well, you've been uh, working in this uh, area for quite a while. Uh, uh, do you have any uh, thoughts uh, kind of looking to the future of things where you see uh, uh, opportunities that you're excited about uh, kind of on the other side of that? Uh, uh, are there some areas where you're concerned that maybe uh, there's not enough uh, investment or progress being made? Yeah, definitely. I see the biggest gap in our industry is the fact that we don't put as individuals and professionals enough focus on business reasons or speaking to business. Uh, one thing that I'm doing more and more now is tying in business goals with accessibility guidelines or rules. Now, what I mean by that is that there's companies out there who will post publicly on their blogs or on their diversity, equity, and inclusion pages on their websites. They say, we care about a diverse workforce. And yet we go in there as professionals and start to talk about, well, this is how you put alt text into an image. And we lose that tie between the business goals and disability inclusion. So that's where I see our biggest focus should be is really 
talking to organizations, when we speak to organizations, I bring up their blog page on, hey, we just posted, you know, last month about Pride Month, for example. Look at this post. It was great. This is a diverse or, or you know, here's a post that we just did on including uh, non-gender bias in our hiring practices. Why are we talking about disability inclusion in that as well? And I think we need to get comfortable with that because once we can start to tie business goals, business reasons into accessibility, you know, targets and things like that, we're going to have a lot easier way of communicating with people who think in terms of key performance indicators and quarterly targets. And, you know, I was just speaking to somebody about who wants to bring a design system, an accessible design system into his business. And he said, well, what are some ways that I can, I can talk about this? I said, like, just do that. Go look at your, the company's uh, DEI goals and say, well, look, we care about bringing on new immigrants to our organization. Well, people with a second language really do benefit from language simplification or, you know, left alignment when they're reading text, because that's easier for how we consume information. Well, now all of a sudden I've tied in a business goal with accessibility reasons. And that means metrics can be put onto that. You can actually put a dollar figure on what's the value of that too. So I think our ability to communicate those business goals and becoming fluent with business language is something that we all need to work on. And I see that as a huge opportunity for us to move this forward in the next, you know, three to five years. One of the areas you mentioned briefly that you're involved with was uh, in accessibility uh, or, or working for an organization as an accessibility consultant before you started your own work. Uh, you know, for a lot of uh, uh, accessibility consulting, often it, it, it stems out of a company's uh, fear of litigation and ends up uh, and is often kind of the remediation post-development part where you're really just trying to fix and put band-aids on what could yep. be, you know, more significant problems. Have you, have you noticed much progress in organizations doing more shift left and, and starting at the research and design level before things are are coded. I I kind of see it as a mixed bag where there's still quite there there's not as much investment early on, and it tends to be just trying to patch things uh, at the end. But I was interested in kind of your experiences with that. Well, sure, and I agree with you. I mean, that is left till the end, and a lot of consulting firms will you know feed into that, right? They even there's some organizations out there who actively put ads out there saying, avoid accessibility litigation, call us now. But here's where I see that we fit in. It doesn't matter if you are a junior developer who cares a little bit about accessibility or someone who has you know, been an advocate for years. We have to realize that it's all of our responsibility to educate clients and customers and companies and organizations on that shift left. So I think that we need to get comfortable, like I said, having those business conversations. Yes, I agree with you that shift left is important. But if I just go tell a UX research team, you should be interviewing people with disabilities. And then I walk out of the room or end the conversation without enabling them with the tools or the resources to be able to do that. Well, then I'm not doing a very good job helping them shift left either. There's some great companies out there who have access 
to a pool of people who have lived experiences with disabilities and who are willing and able and getting paid to offer feedback on products and services. But we're not teaching about that. We're not going to talk to these teams and saying, hey, you can call this company, you can meet with their sales team and you can do that. Instead, these, uh, like a lot of consulting firms, they sit right in that tech level. They sit in that tech space in that tech team and say, well, just be that, pick up the phone and call me when you have a tech question. But we're not doing a lot of that work on, let's be the driving force before the shift left. It's not up to the business owners to shift left. It's up to us to drive that change. And we need to be in front of that. Well, uh, we've covered a lot of things. I, I do want to uh, ask you a little bit more about the uh, show that you uh, put on. What uh, you know? How often is, is is that? Where can people find it? And we'll put that information at the, in the show notes. But maybe you could tell us a little bit about what uh, what that's all about. Sure, absolutely. So the name of the show is called Normalize It, where I talk about the things which a lot of people feel uncomfortable to talk about, right? I mean, no one wants to talk about neurodiversity in a workplace. What does it mean to go to work if you are autistic or you have ADHD? And like, what does that mean? So that's where that show name comes from. It's at noon on East, uh, noon Eastern every Friday. I have like lots of guests coming on. Uh, I've got uh, Mike Gifford coming on next week. And it's going to be a great show. Uh, very like it, that's going to be a more technical show. But this show really is for anybody who is curious and wants to know answers to some of those questions that are uncomfortable to ask in the workplace. You know, how do you approach somebody who has who is deaf? How do you approach them when you walk up to them in the office? Do you go and shake their chair? Is that an appropriate way to re reach out to them? Or do you just lightly tap their shoulder? By the way, it's lightly tap their shoulder. Don't go and shake anybody's chair. Nobody likes that. So I've got that every Friday. And now that I have a good uh, 20 or 30 episodes, I'm going to start posting that on, on YouTube and also creating a podcast out of those episodes as well. I want a little bit of a backlog there before I did it. But join us live. I'm very interactive. When, we, when I do the show, I answer comments and questions as I go either to the guest or to me. I also do a solo ask me anything episode once in a while that I'm driving as well. So yeah, come join me on LinkedIn. You just have to follow me there and um, um, you, you just reach out and I can let you know when the next one is. Well, great. Well, thanks for uh, letting us know about that. Definitely. Uh, it's a, a great uh, thing to check out and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to share your background and your own journey with us. It was a pleasure to chat with you about this. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Joe. I really appreciate it and appreciate the work you do as well. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Yeah. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. A Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. 
Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.